Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. We are in uh, the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the Christians in Ephesus, and um, remember, this is not just a letter to the Christians in Ephesus. This was a letter that was meant to be circulated among the churches in the, in the region. And it starts off with three chapters of who we are in Christ, our authority, our position, the love God has for us, and the power that is at our disposal because of our position, because we are in Christ. And then it's followed with three chapters of, so, since this is true, Here's what's expected of us. Here's how we should act. Here's how we should behave, how we should walk, how we should live. We've read so far in the second part there, we've read about the importance of unity, patience with and love for one another. We've read about how Christ gave us his church, his body, how he gave us gifts and that these gifts are ministers and ministry offices. Then we read last week about putting on the new man. That a crucial part of the new life we have received at the new birth consists of laying certain things down. In uh, chapter 4, verse 22, says that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Then goes on a little bit later. It says, tell the truth. Work with your hands. All these simple things. It's not mysterious, profound, spiritual, what we would call spiritual stuff. He's saying this is what spiritual life looks like. Uh, And then we wrapped up last week with Beginning in verse 31, it says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And now we pick it up in Ephesians chapter 5. In verse 1, it says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Now remember, Ephesians is not like Galatians and Corinthians. We talked about this when he wrote to those churches and others. Uh, he is, he's addressing some very personal matters. He talks about some individuals and individual problems and corrections that need to be made in those churches. And we can take those and apply them. We can learn from those. Certainly they are no less applicable, applicable to us. The difference here is he's writing an almost purely doctrinal letter to the Ephesians. He's outlining some things. He's not correcting any specific problem in the Ephesian church. Remember, this was just a letter he sent to Ephesus with the intention of having it circulated just to nail some things down about the Christian life in general. And we remember that the Ephesians were a mature congregation. Spiritually speaking, they were relatively mature. Um, And I'm always struck by the difference here. Uh, 
when he wrote to the Corinthians, do you remember? There's a line where he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Do you remember that? Uh, and the, the, what I've always seen this difference here is when he's talking to the Corinthians, I don't think he meant it necessarily as an insult, but he's speaking to the Corinthians as a group of relatively immature believers. They didn't lack in any spiritual gift, but in terms of walking this out, the spiritual walk that he's describing in Ephesians was not present among the Corinthians. So he's telling them how to walk too, but there's this sort of sad assumption that you really don't know how to follow God. You don't know God well enough to follow him. So I'll tell you what, follow me as I follow him. I'll model Christ for you. And it's a pretty bold statement. I mean, I would love to have that kind of confidence in my walk and in your walk so that we could safely say to somebody, you want to see, you want to imitate God? Follow me. Do what I do. All right? Some people would say, well, he's only saying, only imitate me insofar as I imitate God. But you see, if that's the case, that assumes that they know what spiritual behavior looks like. So why not just say, imitate God like he does the Ephesians? But he's speaking to some immature people in Corinth. Now, to the Ephesians, he says... Be imitators of God as dear children. That's a compliment there. You know what he looks like. You know what spirituality ought to look like. So do that. And then in verse 2 where it says, And walk in love as Christ also has loved us. It's not necessarily saying, he's not giving them two different commands. Imitate God and walk in love. It's more like imitate God by walking in love. It's not an also. It's kind of like you would say, why can't you be more like so-and-so and do this? Why can't you be more like that kid across the street who studies all the time and makes straight A's? Why can't you be, uh, be like, be imitators of Warren Buffett and make wise investments? You know, there's not two different things there. Be imitators of God and walk in love. Be like your daddy God and walk in love like Jesus walked in love. And how did Jesus demonstrate that love? How is the love of Christ manifest? Whoops. He has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. This is going to be crucial when we wrap today's message up, when you see where this is leading. But let's read on for now. In verse 3, But fornication... And all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you, as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Again, not separate thoughts. When he says, be imitators of God, walk in love, this is the outworking. This is what walking in love looks like, at least part of it. Walking in love, part of our walking in love toward one another and God, is to not be partakers of these things. Hang on to that. I'm going to come back to this thought, but uh, I need to, I'm going to read just a few more so we can weave these things together. Verse 8, for you were once, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light, 
for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Uh, That's enough for right now. So imitate God, walk in love, and do these things. All one thought. It is absolutely true. You know this. And thank God it's true. That we don't need to clean up our act before we come to Christ. It's, 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 it's vain. It's fruitless to try to do that. We come to Christ as we are, and he absolutely loves us as we are. He meets us and accepts us where we are. And this is a, uh, one of those sayings, maybe you've heard it, maybe you've heard it uh, too many times and it's lost its impact, but I think it really does speak the truth in this situation or in this subject where it said, when it's, we, this isn't a Bible statement, this is just a truism based on the biblical principle, that God loves you just like you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay that way. The changes he desires you to make, that he, let, me, let me rephrase that, the changes he desires to work in you are for your good. It's never a matter of, I love you, but I don't like this about you, and you need to do this to please me. It's like, no, I love you, and I know what is best for you. It's not just about pleasing me. I created you to flourish and to function and to prosper in a certain path. So my heart's desire for you, because I love you and absolutely want the best for you, is for you to lay down the things that are contrary to that, because those things will will throttle the, the blessing, the flow of blessing, throttle that flourishing. They're like weeds in your life. So lay these things down. Ultimately, they lead to death. There is a lot of this letter, by the way, and we'll see this when we get there, that's that's similar to Colossians. And here's one of those passages. In verse 6, when it says, uh, For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. That is, uh, that's, said almost exactly like that in Colossians. But what's he talking about? Because of these things. These things are the deeds of darkness. That's why he says, do not be partakers with them. Verse 11, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. This reminds me of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You can turn there if you want. Just going to read a quick passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and this is when you remember he's talking about this specific immorality that had occurred in the church, but in verse 9 he writes, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people, yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world, or with the covetous, or the extortioners, or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. In other words, people had taken his when he, when he wrote to them a letter that we don't have, this is 1 Corinthians, but he refer, he's referring to a letter he already wrote them. Hey, I wrote to you not to keep company with these evil people, but I didn't mean the people in the world. 
people were taking. Well, we're just supposed to be insular. We're not supposed to have friends outside the church. We're not supposed to fellowship with unbelievers. He's saying, no, uh, if you, you're going to have to come out of the world. You're either going to have to do that, live in a little enclave where you don't touch uh, unsaved society, or you just need to go to heaven where you're not having an impact on the world. And he goes on to say, verse 11, but I've written you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what do I have to do with judging all those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. What he's saying is, you're obviously going to be rubbing shoulders with and having fellowship with, even maintaining friendship, friendships with people who are in the world. And since people who are in the world do not have that renewed spirit, we don't have the right to expect that they would share our values. There are going to be revilers, drunkards, idolaters, and the sexually immoral, but we shouldn't tolerate it and accept it and embrace it and cultivate it in the church. Among brothers, what should we be doing in those situations? Correcting, discipline, addressing these things, confronting them, or as Paul puts it in Ephesians, exposing them. Okay? Now, again, this all needs to be done in the context of relationship, patience, and love. When somebody comes up and prays the sinner's prayer, okay, now they're a brother. Now we can attack their sin. That's not what it's saying either, right? No. What do we do? We are salt and we are light and we let our light shine so that they can imitate us as we imitate God. Okay? There's always going to be some Corinthians among the Ephesians. Okay? Now, uh, so yes, we absolutely maintain our friendships. We keep company with the unsaved. That's not what he's condemning here. What's he saying? Don't share in their deeds. Don't partake in these unfruitful works of darkness. I can be a friend of somebody whose lifestyle I utterly disagree with, but I'm not going to, in the name of friendship, share in those deeds. I'm going to live differently. I am not going to be the one to cut off a friendship because of a a value that I don't share. But I am not going to sacrifice my integrity on the altar of that friendship either. And if they cut me off, so be it. All right? You might be the strongest link an unbeliever has to Jesus. Okay, but you can't bear the weight of that responsibility to the point where you say, I'm afraid if I don't go along with this, I'm going to lose their friendship and then they'll be lost. It can't work that way. You will not be, you will not remain a strong link to Jesus if you fellowship to the point of participating in their unfruitful deeds of darkness. All right. So again, the message in Ephesians is a warning and an encouragement to walk and to live in such a way that the difference in our lives is obvious, not just to outsiders, but to other believers. That is what verse 13 means. Uh, Let me read that again. Uh, In the wrong chapter. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. The light... Who's the light? What is the light? We are the light, right? And it is not, when people read that, there, there is a segment, and I believe there, a lot of them are genuinely saved people, but they read that verse, and they see a calling 
to their ministry in that verse. It is my call, it is my job to expose everything wrong with everybody else. And so, and in this day and age, it's easy to do. You fire up, you start a website, you record some YouTube videos, and there are people who, they don't just, they're not just talking about drunkards and revelers and, and, and everybody else. They're talking about other ministers who are in error. I've shared this with you before. Maybe some of you have seen it. There, there are websites, and, and boy, they look, they, and I'm not an expert on such a thing, but they, they really look, just the layout is amateur. Too many colors and fonts and uh, sizes and everything else. But they list, you know, this like cult watch or heresy watch. And I challenge you to find a minister who is not on this list. If you've heard of them, they're on the list. It's their job to expose, you know, how many thousands of hours do they have to listen to to find one error that they can nail them to the wall on. Not what it's talking about. What does light have to do? Once light enters a dark room, what does it have to do now to banish the darkness? Just be light. Just be light, all right? And Jesus talked about that. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men. Don't hide it under a bushel. Hide it under a bushel? No, I'm going to let it shine. Somebody should write a song about that. It's still light, isn't it? But it's not illuminating anything. But we have, and that, that's, what, that's what boldness is. Sometimes boldness is simply maintaining your integrity in the midst of this darkness. I've told this story before, and I, 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 I'm always cautious about telling this because I don't, I don't want to make myself sound like I was something I wasn't, okay? Uh, there's a, I, I've tried to be honest. There's a, thou, a thousand things I did wrong. But there's a few things I did right, and those are the ones I want to share with you. And I can remember, uh, this was shortly after my uh, commission, when, and I, I, again, many of you have heard this story. Uh, I was a brand new second lieutenant, and I got to go out to California and spend uh, two or three weeks with our, our mother unit, the 7th Infantry Division, uh, Fort Ord, California. Uh, not there anymore. <laughs> kind of sad, but uh, they were kind of a West Coast version of the 82nd Airborne, minus the Airborne. <laughs> they, they were a high-speed, low-drag, light infantry leg unit, and we got to, uh, I got to go on, and I got attached to this platoon as an observer, controller, evaluator, whatever, while they did this massive exercise. It was, it was, a, it was a really cool uh, thing to see these guys up close and personal. And all I did at the end of the day was just hang out with them. I, did, I, I, I knew who I was. I'm a brand new second lieutenant, and I'm working with some really good professional soldiers. So I'm just there watching. I'm learning. And... Uh, and I spent most of my time hanging out in the little command post there for the platoon. And so I uh, got to know the platoon sergeant real well, got to know the radio operator real well, and the platoon leader, uh, first lieutenant, whose name I still remember. Remember all these guys' names. And just kind of hang, and, and to a lesser extent, the rest of the soldiers. But I just loved watching these interactions, and uh, I'm keeping to myself. I'm journaling a little bit, and, but I'm not over there doing, uh, I had a Bible on me, but I tried not to be ostentatious about when I read it. Uh, all I did was just mostly kept my mouth shut. And, but, you, but you need to know this, uh, and anybody who has spent time in the military does know this. The, the, Tom Wolfe, the author of The Right Stuff, refers to it as Army Creole, meaning that the military language, by and large, at least in, in my time, uh, is completely over-seasoned with profanity. 
Every other word is a swear word for no reason. It's not like they're mad all the time. It's just, it's got to be, I guess, sound like a soldier. You got to speak like this. And I'm painting with a broad brush. Not everybody is like that, okay? But you do hear a lot of it, you know? Why, uh, it's a, I got to go fill my canteen. No, I got to blank and go fill my blank and canteen. Just, just because. I don't know what it is. Something about the uniform brings it out of some people. But anyway, that's, that's also, you know, this. We'd been out in the field for maybe three, four days. Maybe a week, I don't know. And out of the blue, the radio operator turns to me and says, Sir, can I ask you a question? I said, Sure. He says, uh, Are you like religious or something? <laughs> I said, That's a really weird question. I said, To answer your question, I don't like the word religious. But yeah, I do take my, I, I'm a Christian and I try to take that seriously. But what did I do to make you ask that? He said, Oh, it's nothing you did. We've been out here for a week and I haven't heard you cuss once. But you see, that little question opened the door to a whole week of discussion that I got to have with him and the platoon sergeant. We were talking about it all the time. Why? Because I made sure I read my Bible in front of them? Because I made sure they heard me praying over my MREs? No. I just was light. And there was darkness around me. And I wasn't sitting there, oh, oh, this darkness. I'm fellowshipping with these guys. I liked them. I'm learning from them. Just have to be a little bit different and don't be afraid to be different. We think we're going to win the world by fitting in. We are not. If we fit in with them, how are they ever going to know we have anything different, have anything better? So let me read verse 14 here again. Uh, I didn't read that yet, though, did I? Let me read verse 14. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. We have to have this light to be the light, and then we go into the darkness, and we are illumination. Now, uh, let me say, let me back up and tell a little bit of background for what I'm about to say about this. Uh, when I was a Ramah student, I attended Grace Fellowship, Pastor Bob Yandian. And uh, I remember... And thank God for Raymond. There were, it was so much. And the bulk of, of what I got down in Tulsa was in the Rhema class and the Rhema environment. But I can also remember week after week, Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, Sunday nights, uh, whenever I could get there. I could always be there Sunday nights, but depending on my work schedule, I might not make the midweek service or the Sunday evening service. But I was there every time I could be. And it was enough for me to sit. That was a great church. Great praise and worship. The people were great. None of that really mattered. If everything else about that church stunk, I would have still been there every time the doors were open just to sit under the teaching of Bob Yandian, a world-class Bible teacher. And he wouldn't teach long. He would, he, would, he would go 25 minutes sometimes, but it was so rich. I can remember... This was not uncommon. I can remember sitting in the chair with my jaw, with my mouth open, and tears running down my face. Just from the, not from conviction, not from anything other than just the overwhelming richness of the word. And this is, and I, re, I recognize, and I had somebody confirm this, uh, you know, prophetically. What, you, what that was, was your spirit responding to that teaching gift, this is when I really kind of, I didn't know what. I knew I was called to ministry, wasn't sure what I was going to be doing. But I knew very early on in my attendance at Grace that I was going to be a teacher. That teaching ministry was going to be central to my ministry. And I can remember just 
being not, not just challenged and impressed and, and moved, but also sometimes I would feel a little bit uh, not frustrated, uh, but desperate. I would hear this teaching, and I'm like, I know I'm called to do this. How? And, 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 and I've shared, you know, some of you heard this. It's, it's one thing when a preacher comes in and wows you with some flashy take on a scripture, a new doctrine. And, and we got to be careful with that because sometimes we hear that and you're like, wow, that's amazing. And we're so amazed and so taken with it that we don't really take the time to look at it in the word. But it's, it, some people go for that. You never saw this before. Let me show you something. And they show it to us and you're like, wow. When we should be saying, hmm, that's interesting if it's true. Let me think about how it lines up with everything else. When I talk about sitting there with my mouth open while Bob Yandian taught, it was never a matter of oh man, that's a new thing and he's got something special here. It was more like, oh yeah, obviously that's what that passage means. It just, it's like he made it seem so clear and I used to sit there and, and long, it's like how am I ever, it's one thing to be able to respond to that, it's another thing, how will I ever be able to share the Bible that clearly and that deeply? All that to say, I know I'm no Bob Yandian, but I have, Bob Yandian is, uh, Ephesians is one of his books that he's famous for. His series on Ephesians was great. He wrote a book on Ephesians. We have several copies of it. And I think small groups did a, went through it. Some of the small groups did a, a few years ago. I have purposely not picked that book up because I didn't want to model my series on Bob Yandian. Nothing wrong with that. I wanted to just kind of approach it freshly. But I picked it up last night just to look at this verse and, and a, couple, a couple surrounding. I wanted to see what he, because he goes through it verse by verse. And so I'm skimming through the book, and I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of tracking with Bob. I'm kind of teaching the same thing Bob is writing about here. And it's not like I had never seen the book before. But I get to this part, and I'm so glad I picked it up, because he points out something about this sleep, uh, rise, awake you sleeper, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead. And uh, I know that, you know, like when Jesus said our friend Lazarus, is asleep and I'm going to wake him. And they said, well, if he's asleep, he'll get better. And Jesus said, Lazarus is dead. He meant the sleep of death. It's not here. When, he's, when, when Paul is quoting this uh, passage, he's not saying rise from the dead. He's not accusing them of being dead. He's simply saying you're sleeping among the dead. And I think, I think this is a, the, the illustration he used. If you walk into a room and there are uh, are a hundred people lying still on the floor, and ninety nine of them are dead, and one of them sleeping. How do you tell the difference? I mean, you have to go and look at each one to see maybe who 's breathing, but he 's saying there 's all these dead people you 're alive, but nobody knows you 're alive because you 're asleep. Wake up, rise from among them, and this death, darkness, evil, we stand out by being alive, light, and good. Uh, song recommendation. Keith Green, Asleep in the Light. Check it out. J- write it down. You can find it on YouTube. You don't have to go out and buy CDs anymore. Keith Green, Asleep in the Light. If that doesn't challenge you, your wood is wet. <laughs> All right. Now, uh, let's move on, because there's, there's a lot I want to get through before we, uh, before we get out of here. It, uh, let's pick it up in verse 15. See that you walk circumspectly. See then that you walk circumspectly, and not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. 
Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stop there. And let's break those down very quickly because this is all leading up to something that I really have to get to for this sermon to make sense. Uh, Walk circumspectly, not as fools but as wise. This is kind of a reiteration of what we just talked about. Among, you, you have this category, dead, darkness, evil, foolish. And we are alive, light, good, and wise. We walk differently in every respect. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Remembering that too. I see that redeeming the time. I see this. There's kind of a sense of urgency. We cannot be lazy about this. We don't know how much time we have left. But the days are evil. And there's, there's, there's no time like the present. We have to uh, make the most of the days. Of every day that we are given. Uh, understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be drunk with wine. Okay, now I'm not going to this notice. By the way, it doesn't say don't drink. It says don't be drunk. We've talked about this before. It's a delicate issue uh, for some people. Uh, but it's, it's difficult to make the case that alcohol per se is sinful. There are compelling reasons, good reasons, I believe, for Christians not to drink. But the command here is not to be drunk. The excess Okay, and, and this is the thing. The uh, Bible doesn't say don't eat. It says don't eat too much. Eat too much, that's gluttony. And what happens? I don't know what happens. I've never eaten too much. <laughs> eat too much food, you get fat. Might get sick. You watch too much TV. I remember <laughs> back in my youth pastor days, one of Jeff Zeller's kids said this. Uh, somebody mentioned Spongebob. I don't remember was, who was it that said this, Beth. She said, I, I think it was, was it the boy or the girl? Anyway, he said, one, of, one of the kids says, uh, Dad won't let us watch Spon- Spongebob. He says it'll make you stupid. <laughs> Can you relate? Have you ever watched something, and, and after a half hour, maybe after 15 minutes, maybe after four hours, you're like, I think I am literally dumber for having watched what I just watched. Is there anything wrong with TV per se? No. But anything in excess, and certainly watching the wrong things. Too much sleeping. You know, the Bible talks about that more than once. Read through Proverbs, you know. A little sleep, a little folding of the hands to rest, and and, uh, poverty comes on you like a bandit. Is there anything wrong with sleep? Absolutely not. God gives his beloved sleep. Promises us sweet sleep. But if we sleep too much, it's sloth. And, ha- and you can build that habit too. And see, that's, that, I'd love to just preach a sermon on that because that's not something I struggle with. I don't need a lot of sleep. I get up early. And so it's easy for me. Oh, y'all need to get up when I get up. You know, so your sleep schedule like mine. Just don't talk to me about the uh, chips and cheese I had at midnight last night while I was doing this sermon, believe it or not. So, all these things that, that, that we've got to be careful that's not condemning certain things, but it's condemning what? An excess. What, what is our goal? If our goal 
is drunkenness, then don't touch it. All right? Uh, We're not, we're supposed to be doing what is good for us, for our family, for our church, and our community. And then contrast it with this. Speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, this does include, there, there is a clear reference, I believe, in there to the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit. The singing prophetically. I don't know how many of you were here when we had Billy Miller in last year. That was just last year, I think, wasn't it? When in the, sometimes in the middle of a message, he'll just start singing stuff out. Sometimes it's in tongues. Sometimes it's in English. But he'll be bringing an utterance from the Spirit of God, and he's just singing it. And it's beautiful. But that's not just what it's talking about here. Number one, it's not saying sing to one another. The songs are clearly sung. But you can speak to one another in psalms and hymns. That means even in conversation, and many of you do this. And I think this is part of what's wonderful about the arts is that they are able to take great thoughts, poems and songs. They're able to take great big thoughts and distill them into easily memorized and remembered uh, passages, verses, stanzas, and things like that. And so you might be having a, a, a difficult time, and somebody says, you know, it's like the song. And then you quote a song to them, or you quote a psalm to them. This ought to be part. It doesn't mean we can't talk about anything else. There's nothing sinful about talking about the Cubs or your job or anything else. But we ought to be able to encourage each other with a common language. And that language includes psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. But also notice what it says here. And and by the way, you know, that's why uh, I love quoting uh, songs uh, and and, uh, poems. And you'll hear uh, ministers do that all the time. Because they strike a chord. God created them that way. But also notice it says, speak that way to who? To one another. This is is who we speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. In the world, among the dead, in the dark, verse 15, see that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. We live our lives when we're among the darkness, when we're among the unbeliever, it's much more important how we live. Okay? That doesn't mean we don't preach to them. We do. We have to use our words if we are going to fulfill the Great Commission and preach the gospel. But that's different from songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. Last, uh, last verses in that passage, verse 20 and 21, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. That means... We live in a constant state of gratitude and of mutual submission. The importance of mutual submission cannot be overstated, especially in light of what is coming next. So I want you to go back to the beginning of chapter 5 there in verse 2 where it says, And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. The context for what we're about to read is this, that the second member of the Godhead, Jesus Christ, God the Son, literally laid his life down for us. And we are called to be like him, to be imitators of God himself. And this imitation is not 
to go around exercising sovereign authority, but in the laying down of our lives for one another. And that usually is not going to mean dying. We're all, you know, just talked about the arts. You're not going to see a movie about somebody who's just nice and lays his life down for people in terms of preferring them. You're not going to see a movie made about somebody who masters mutual submission. You're going to see the, the ones that are glorified are the ones who literally lay down their life. And we would love to look around, at least at our family and those really close to us. I would take a bullet for you, man. I'd throw myself on a grenade to save my family. And that's good. And I would love to believe I would do that for each one of you. But if I'm called to be submissive, if we're called to be submissive to one another, it might be something that's not so glorious or glamorous. To prefer you to seek your best before mine. But you see, who is our referent? Jesus Christ himself. If Jesus Christ can prefer me, prefer you to the point that he is willing to die on a cross for us, us, children of darkness, sinful, rebellious as we were, then what possible complaint can we have when he says... In verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. You know that there are people who really struggle with this verse. There are people who cannot embrace Christianity because I can't get behind a religion that tells women that they are subservient to men. That's not what that verse says. It doesn't say, women, you are inferior to men. Here's the rank. God, man, woman. It doesn't say, women, submit to men. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands. As to the Lord. Why? For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, this is still tough, but pay attention to this. The head and the body. What? The head runs the body, the brain, right? The brain, one that is properly functioning anyway will not be opposed to the body. On the contrary, the brain does what is necessary to keep the body functioning, alive, and healthy. The brain is there for the body. It runs everything, right? One of my favorite examples of this, uh, and I was talking to somebody recently about this. Uh, There's a, um, when you have an infection, a sickness, a disease, any number of things that can go wrong Uh, systemically in your body. Your body produces certain enzymes, antibodies, I don't know what all, to fight it. And sometimes the result is inflammation as all these little uh, blood cells get out there and start squirting these enzymes and surrounding it with these antibodies. But it's all your, your body's way of fighting these things off. You know this, right? This is grade school health. And it turns out, and I didn't know this until I watched a, a medical program, not a drama, I'm talking about like a science program, where they said that when you are asleep 
your body produces these disease-fighting agents at double the rate as when you are awake. Which is why sleep is important, right? Well, make sure you get plenty of sleep because your body, that's when your body uh, heals and repairs itself. But this is the part that really grabbed me and makes me think, yeah, this, is, this, is, this is a creator. Your body, since it produces these disease-fighting agents faster when you're asleep, when you are fighting something, your body also secretes a chemical uh, adenosine that makes you sleepy. It's what your body normally releases this at bedtime. You know, you get your, your, rhythm, your, your daily rhythm, uh, and your body knows when to secrete this, knows when you need sleep. But it also knows when you're sick. And so your, your brain will release this chemical to make you sleep more, because when you sleep more, you produce these disease-fighting agents at double the rate. Isn't that cool? So your brain is for you. Your head is for you. And Christ is the head of the church. And the men, sorry, the husbands are to be the head of the household, the head of the family, the head of the wife. Why? Because I want to tell her what to do all the time? No, because I am for her. Everything, if I am functioning as I'm supposed to, I'm functioning in a way that my wife will be happy, healthy, productive, in a way that she can't be if you cut her head off. It's like if we try to be happy, healthy, and this is exactly what Paul's talking about. He talks about the proper relationship, the proper order in marriage, but he says, my whole point here is this is a picture of the body of Christ. I'm talking about spiritual things. You cannot, no matter what anybody tells you, you cannot be a happy, healthy, productive Christian. You cannot be the Christian you're called to be if you separate yourself from the body, and certainly if you separate yourself from the head. If you can't submit you cannot function as you were called to function. Now, of course, the breakdown here is that husbands are not perfect. God's point, however, is that there is an order in the home. You know, there are two words, leadership and command, and there are similarities. But not all leaders are commanders. And unfortunately, not all commanders are leaders. I mentioned my uh, days as a lieutenant. Started off as a second lieutenant, but I want you to know I made it all the way to the exalted rank of first lieutenant. But that, uh, that first command position is called a platoon leader, at least it, it, you know, when you're in a, when you have troops. Not, not every officer has troops at the beginning, but I was in the infantry, so I had a, I had a platoon. But it's interesting that they don't call you a platoon commander. They do in some, uh, some countries' armies. That position is called platoon commander. Uh, in, uh, in the United States, they call it a platoon leader. And I've heard uh, senior leaders say, son, you've got to lead your troops, not command them. The infantry motto is, follow me. There's a statue at Fort Benning. We call them Iron Mike, but it's really not Iron Mike. It's, it's called the Infantryman. It's been renamed Follow Me, and the Fort Benning patch uh, says Follow Me. But it's this great statue of an infantry soldier holding a bayoneted rifle in one hand going like this. And so the infantry leader's motto is not, Do what I say! It's Follow Me. This is what leadership 
ought to look like in the home. And unfortunately, we talk about isolating scriptures, just like the person before sees that. It's my job to expose the deeds of darkness. What a fun job I have. There are some men, unfortunately, some husbands who, woohoo, wives, submit to your husbands. Fix me a sandwich. (laughs) Am I like that? No. Who fixes the sandwiches in our house? I am the sandwich maker. The servant leader. (laughs) It's Father's Day. Happy Father's Day, dads. If we were going to get a little bit farther today, we would talk about uh, the relationship between fathers and their children. It won't be till next week till we get that far today. But Rainy, bless her heart, she came into my office today and said, Dad, can you tell Riley to move? He always gets to sit by you, and I want to sit by you today because it's Father's Day. Isn't it great how manipulative children can be? <laughs> I love you, Rainy. I wonder what she's going to ask me for later. No, I'm kidding. She's sweet. She's just flat out sweet, aren't you? Riley is too. <laughs> anyway, have you, ever, have you ever been fortunate enough to have a boss that you really loved? One that you, it was a pleasure to bend over backwards for. Not everybody has, I know. Or, if you were in the military, have you ever served under a leader? You've heard people, I would follow that man to hell with gasoline-soaked underwear. (laughs) They bring out the best in you. A wife should have no trouble submitting to the leadership of her husband because the husband should be giving himself and sacrificing for his wife. That, praise and worship team, you can be coming up here. That is why at the end of the day, it should be easy for us to follow Christ. Not because everything he calls us to do is easy. It's not. But because he is the perfect leader, the perfect example. We know that he is utterly for us. That no matter how hard his commands might seem, no matter how demanding the Christian walk is, We know that we know that if we obey him, it is absolutely going to be for our good. And here's another old uh, tired saying. uh, Usually hear it in a military context. Men, I wouldn't ask you to do nothing. I wouldn't gladly do myself. Can Can any truer words be spoken of about Jesus? He's talking about mutually submitting to one another, laying down our lives for one another, giving up our seat for one another, giving up our privileges for one another, uh, focusing on our responsibilities rather than our privileges. Did anybody do that more completely and more perfectly than Jesus Christ? The Son of God, God the Son, submitting to the will of the Father for us? Talk about putting our interests above his own. I'm going to hang on a cross in misery for hours because I love you. This is for your good. 
And then on the other side of it, he says, I'm offering you this new life. I've saved you from hell. I love you. I want you to flourish and prosper. I want you to be a blessing. I want you to be blessed. I also want you to do this. These things, fornication, which is, by the way, it's an umbrella term for all sexual sin. Idolatry. Coarse jesting. Filthiness. Malice. Wrath. I want you to lay those down. But God, this is just who I am. I want you to stop being that way. I thought you loved me. I do love you. That's why I died for you. I'm taking that. See, all those things, those are part of your old life. The life I'm giving you is a way better one. See, we want to say, I want the eternal life. I want the healing. I want the blessing. But I also want to keep these things that I enjoy. I like talking like the guys. I like being one of the, I like fitting in. It's like, no, I want you to have the blessing. I want you to have the healing. I want you to have the provision. I want you to have the protection. I want you to have eternal life, but I need you to be different. I need you to be light because when I saved you, I didn't just do it for you. I have a plan to use you to save him, to save her, to save them. And you can't do it if you're like them. Stand up with me. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.